Hello, and welcome back to the weird Frankenstein monster uh, that is something in between our Zats and the theory behind it. Um, this was recorded during the old regime, and it is a part two of an episode we did before, so I don't really know who to attribute this to, but welcome back anyway. Uh, where we left off, it's a Let's Argue episode. Libby is pitting me and Seth against each other with questions that she has pulled from the Music Theory subreddit. I believe I want to say the score is two to one, Seth. I think that's where we left it. Livy was about to ask us a more trolly question uh, that may or may not get used for the debate proper. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoy it. Glad to have you, and off we go. Um, yeah, let's get that. Tro- let's let's get that troll question. Oh, you want? Okay. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> I really don't know how you guys are going to debate this, but okay. Uh, also, how I'm going to explain it. It's going to be whoever so, agrees with the other. Okay, horror. maybe not the troll question. <laughs> Do you no. want to hear it? You can pass on it if you want. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. So, common practice music is basically revolves around C. C major has no sharps and flats. C is like, there's middle C. It's kind of the first thing that kind of people learn. The white keys on the piano are C major, all that stuff. Wouldn't it make more sense for our music to be centered around A, the start of the alphabet? What? What is this question? Why um, is our music centered around C? Why is C so special? Shouldn't it be A because A is the first letter? Can I respond but with a counterpoint? <laughs> I don't know. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> I'll, le- I'll leave C and A for Seth. I have another pitch I'd like to use. <laughs> I was going to say, I, th- I think I have the right answer, but you go crazy. Um, this is purely, purely a teaching question. I mean, a a teaching, teaching argument. This is from a purely pedagogical space based on my experiences the last two weeks as a piano teacher. Can we, we should post edit to vast experience in my vast experience as a piano player. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we should, um, well, when you say C is like the center or like the main thing also means that you're gonna be playing like around c right so like we kind of start with mm-hmm. c and like we work we work our way up or whatever mm-hmm. i think that we should start with e i think that we should just go ahead lean on full phrygian and just really go for it starting on <laughs> e and above and here's why because when i'm teaching piano and i'm teaching i've been teaching kids i've been teaching adults and the same thing happens every single time is that i show them a staff and I show them the lines and the spaces on the staff, and it, the first line is an E. And the diagram that I've been showing them has goes up from E to F on the top line. And then I open the books to show them how to play, and their first note has a ledger line in it because all the books start with middle C, not mm-hmm. even on the staff. Mm-hmm. We teach the staff, and then we immediately say, okay, now there are also notes that are off the staff, and you don't even know the names of the lines and spaces. <laughs> That's true. I think that we should just adopt a phrygian or a minor model of teaching and just start on the e above middle c so that they're actually reading the notes on the staff and they don't have to bother with like notes hanging on or off or with ledger lines because then i have to explain well middle c really is going to how you like orient yourself to everything else in the piano even though it's not even on the staff or on on the lines of the staff and it's on a ledger line which then i have to explain that um I, yeah, I just think it's absurd that we start with a note that's not even on the, the five lines and four spaces of the staff because that's what we teach first, and then we don't even use use all of those or start with them. 
So I think I think that this person has the right idea, but in the wrong direction, and that we should center <laughs> things around E. That is that is not the direction that I was going to go. <laughs> A shocker. <laughs> My direction would be um, in fixed doe land a land for people that are wrong um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good c word, good word. is dough so dough is the start of the solfege so technically everything is centered around dough so well, but why is c dough that's the whole question <laughs> oh i don't why know who came up with dough? that system but yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, and odds are the person asking this question was in America, so they would be using movable dough. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to break it to you. There's plenty of people that use law-based minor and plenty of people that use fixed dough. So, Sure, I'm just saying odds. I'm just saying odds are. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and say that I will not be judging this question because I didn't ask okay. the question well enough. But I didn't want to cut you off, Adam, because I thought what you were saying was interesting. The question was basically, why isn't A major no sharps and flats? I didn't really get that far in the question. But they didn't just want to say, like, revolve around A, and A major will still be three sharps. They're saying they that we saying, should change like, the name of C to A? Exactly. That is exactly the question. <laughs> well, okay, hold up. Because, uh... and, and I don't, I don't <laughs> like learning about this uh... area of history, but at some point in our... Um, notation wasn't weren't they just in like whatever book they were like yeah the red line is this note f i think i mean yeah it was f but wouldn't they like move the line around or whatever i thought for a while it was always f no no but i meant like i thought that's isn't that where bass clef comes from yeah yeah yeah. but my point was couldn't like the third line be f or the second line be f maybe i well, I mean, there's movable dough class. Yeah, and he, he's talking about like in like chant music and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Might have been F, but it's basically the same idea. Yeah, it's kind of where our movable C clefs come from. But it, I guess, my point was like, I think at some point it was more of a, I'm not worried about sharps and flats or whatever i'm just going to show you like this clef and you start on that so that almost almost you were basically just like hey the solfege is going to start on this note but since you know your solfege i don't have to tell you sharps and flats you just know the solfege is always this does that make sense yeah it does but it doesn't really explain why once we started writing stuff down it was all about c i don't I feel like Which, it's... Which, I looked up the actual answer. Well, well I looked on, up what on. someone on Quora a, said was the actual answer. I well, I was going to say, I okay. feel like it, it's it got to be keyboard-related. Either ding, that ding, ding. or it was like horn, where like the old horns, you had to have crooks and other things to like change the pitch of it. But Adam, where are you going? Uh, I just want to say that I like it. I like it being on C. I think that if we renamed C to A and all the white notes just went alphabetically, I feel like that would be more of a hindrance to our students. Again, coming from a pedagogical area, I think it's good that C has like the reset of the seven note names somewhere within it because I think it acclimates our students to thinking about music going in that kind of loop. And if we taught all the white keys purely alphabetically, they would think about like the octave in very very clear segments Mm -hmm. rather than thinking about it as like octave starting on 
what C is now, where there's the overlap of the letter names, they would think about it as, as simply chunks of like A through G, um, mm-hmm. which is how I start off describing the keyboard to my students. But then once they actually start playing music, you know, everything's more centered on C. And I think that that little reset of getting from G to A is helpful in thinking about the keyboard and relating to it better. So I think mm-hmm. that it should stay the way it is just for teaching and playing piano purposes. Well, but, okay, then here's the other thing is... No, I'm right. It's, you don't have to... <laughs> okay, Mr. Piano Man. Um, what, yeah, I, have, I have a lot of wisdom to speak from in my last two weeks. I'm speaking very authoritatively about things I know a lot about. What's the um, thickest note on the piano? I think they're all the same width, actually. All the white keys. That was a callback to earlier, Adam. (laughs) The lowest note. uh, I would refresh on the keyboard, my brass friend. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) What's the lowest note on the keyboard, though? (laughs) Yeah, who cares? But I I know the the answer. No, but when do you ever use that note? But... But here's the. This tells you. Are you, you going to use that? Are you going to use that note to find the other notes in the keyboard? Probably not. Do you hold on? Do you know what the note is? Be, it's an A. Yes. Yeah. I do. So that if it, the piano literally starts on A. Yeah, and the top note's a C. What of it? I'm just saying that would be, if you, if you go to the exact middle, like that is how we got middle C. Like you're starting I on it was A. Just it was a note underneath the nameplate. <laughs> I mean that too, but um, <laughs> no, I mean like you are starting on A, but no, but you, when you're first learning, you find the notes in the keyboard based more on like the position of the black keys versus the white keys, not because you know where A is all the time. Oh, I made my, well, and Seth, if we changed the notes because A is important, A would no longer be the lowest note on the piano <laughs> no. and it wouldn't be important for that reason. No, but I guess like my point is like A is important the idea but that... only because we named C what it is. You see what I'm saying? No, but I think A if was there first. C wasn't... Do you? Yeah, like I I mean, are we really to believe that they didn't sit there and think, you know what? Who needs these last three semitones? Let's just start on this note. Like they could well, have started well, on according, what is C. It also depends on the size of old keyboards, because old keyboards used to not have yeah. as much room in the top either. Like, oh, actually, to, hold up, hold up, you're right. Wanna... It would have been shorter, and I think it does start on C when it's shorter. Well, I want to put it out there. I want to just put it out. According to the person on Quora, however you say that, um, it comes back to Guido's hand and the way that they were doing solfege on your hand and the way that your hand sat on the keyboard for, like, proper playing hmm. position, and that's how they came up with, like, Do should be this key, and they just had assigned Do to be C already. And that's just gotcha. like how it ended up. That's what I remember, at least. I'm very sorry if I'm butchering that, but it made sense to me when I skimmed it. So No, but you know what? I was just going to say that I played a Mozart sonata where in the recap, he goes down when he's supposed to go up, and it's because in the key that the recap is in, he would have run out of notes on the keyboard if he'd gone up like he did in the exposition. Oh, wow. So he had to change the, the composition. Of, oh, now we could play it. Now we could play it the right way the quote right way but he wrote it the other way and so now we just play off the music like we're interesting yeah well and i remembered the that's just about the high end i don't know about the low end of the piano i remembered the added three notes because sarah was telling me about um her beethoven 
or that if you follow a lot of Beethoven's music, you can actually see the evolution of the piano because kind of like Mozart, we see things that like all of a sudden he could do because the instrument physically had it. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. is it funny that <clears throat> and fix do do is C, but B the note that would be right below it is C, but spelled S I in the solfege. Is that I weird? don't like C. <laughs> the solfege syllable. So is it funny that it's like half a step lower, but that is... I mean, it's about as funny as B being called H in German. <laughs> is that H or was it E flat? What's E flat? No, it's B. It's B and then B flat is is B. Wow, that's weird. I don't know you why. You might be thinking of um, E flat is E-S. Yeah, that's what it is. I apologize. So that's the Shostakovich one. Gotcha. All right. Okay. So as I said, I'm not going to award points for that discussion. <laughs> okay, but um, I gave two really powerful arguments. <laughs> I I said that I wasn't awarding points before you made your I arguments. Made another you knew incredibly moving argument. I, I mean, you I gave knew. a powerful argument based on misunderstanding basic information. <laughs> <laughs> that counts for something, right? Remember that time Seth accused me of not knowing at the bottom of the keyboard was? <laughs> you were avoiding it really hard, I sir. I wasn't avoiding it. It didn't matter. <laughs> Just saying, somebody that didn't know, that's how they would answer. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay, I have two questions as my option for our next actual question. I think they're both, I don't know, my guess is that you guys both might agree on the answer. So we'll, someone will have to go with a challenging side. Um, which one do I want to do? Okay, we haven't talked about this as much today. I saw a... It was less of a question on this music theory subreddit, more of just kind of like a post that I turned into a question. In the post, the user was talking about how they were trying to collaborate with one of their friends on a um, project that they were working on, a musical project, and how he wasn't able to like communicate with his friend because his friend was kind of adamant about not knowing any theory and only doing things by ear basically and like didn't have any sort of like language to talk about what he was doing his friend was very much like adamant about that that's how he worked but then the user who was posting was talking about how that was frustrating to him so my question for you guys is if you are a performer but you're wanting to be a collaborative performer with maybe a variety of different people is it going to be essential that you have some sort of music theory on some level? Adam. I think I've gone first the last couple of times, so I'll let Seth go first. Well, I was going to say, the, you can go first on this one since the last one didn't count. I feel like you were more <laughs> right than I was. Yeah, but on didn't that. it go first on the one before that, too? Eh. What was the one before honestly. this? Oh, yeah, Adam, you did go first on the one before that. The one that I was robbed, yes. <laughs> yes, the one that you were robbed. You went first. Um, mm-hmm. Well, since I'm in the lead, why don't you... Or, <laughs> oh, 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 man. I'm just saying, like, if there's a bad it's side cold. to this, if I'm thinking maybe Seth doesn't want to go first. Now it sounds like you're evading. Seth. This is what somebody who doesn't know what the last note of the keyboard would say. <laughs> it's a high C. <laughs> um, I'll let you guys decide, though. Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> <laughs> You see, fine. I'll go first. Yeah, Libby, can you ask the question again? <laughs> yeah, um, without the whole backstory, it's basically if you're a performer but you're wanting to collaborate with other performers, 
are you going to need some level of music theory knowledge in order to communicate and collaborate effectively? Yes. Okay. I feel like I'm going to spend a lot of time like repeating myself or making similar arguments, but I'm going to say yes, you should know theory uh, if you're going to be a collaborative musician, especially, and I'll even say mostly, if you're going to be a collaborative musician with other people who know theory. If you're just going to gig and play in a lot of bands, like pop bands, well, it's a different kind of theory. Maybe maybe I'll say it that way. It's a different kind of theory. Um, I can think of uh, a couple examples. I think the biggest thing, as Libby mentioned earlier, in our, our theory pedagogy class, we we talked a lot about music as music theory as being a language of how you communicate specific ideas with other musicians. Um, your first two years of music theory that you take at a university are kind of like a foreign language class, where at the end of it, you don't actually know anything about music theory. Like you're not, you're probably not going to go off and write a big paper or thesis or dissertation about some new idea that you came up with or you learned about, but you know how to communicate musical ideas to other people. And I think that's really the key behind music theory as we teach it, especially in those first two years. Um, and so, yeah, if you don't have that, kind of like we talked about it in the very first question, you're not going to have the tools to be able to communicate effectively what it is that you're looking at or, or doing. You can certainly make it up. You can be very creative with how you talk about music. But if I'm a singer or if I'm, you know, the instrumentalist and I make give you an instruction, like if you're, trying to, if you're trying to be a collaborative pianist and like accompany a bunch of people, if I give you a specific instruction or desire for how I want a song to be played and you don't know what I'm talking about, that's going to be a difficulty. If we have to waste time communicating through the language barrier of music to express what I what the performer wants out of it, that's going to be a problem. Um, at my church back home, for a while we had a guy filling in on guitar who played guitar, he was a fine guitarist, didn't know any music theory, and would start almost every single song on the wrong capo because he did not know how keys and half steps worked. And he would always have to ask our pianist what capo he should be playing um, for each song. And she didn't play guitar. She had to learn it just for him so that they could communicate as musicians. She went and learned extra theory so that, you know, this musician who didn't know what he was doing theory-wise could still be an active, useful part of the band. And so, yeah, I, I think that definitely to communicate with other musicians, you need to know theory. Do you have to? You should. You definitely should. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, my question is really like to collaborate effectively, and so yeah, it's to kind collaborate of effectively, you, you should judge and, and like as I an effective. Earlier with like if you're gigging and playing in bands and stuff, like not classical music, then you should still know how to read chord charts, and you should like you shouldn't always be depending on on playing by ear. You know, like you should know like the Nashville numbers or stuff like that. Um, or, and again, just to be able to communicate effectively. Hey, we're going to come in four bars after the bridge or whatever. Hey, I want you to like hang back until, you know, such a part of a song. That That's that's theory. That's still music theory. That is communicating about music, and, and that's what you need to be able to do. Also, on a side note, um, the Nashville number system is insane. So anybody, yeah. anybody who yeah, can like is. read it effectively, props to you, because I had um, a friend that was like, yeah, can you help me translate this to what I need in this key? And I was like, oh, oh, Lord. So that I was doing like a double, I was doing a translation and then a transposition on top of that to get it to the key. Oh, that, yeah. that, and it was, it was insane what was happening. <laughs> um, there was a presentation on it 
at the most recent South Central Society of Music Theory that I went to. You guys didn't go. Because we're lame. We're not even in the region anymore. Um, <laughs> no, I guess technically you're both in the region. Um, oh, yeah, but it was uh, Trevor DeClerc, who we've heard speak many times. I've heard him talk about the Nashville number system before that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really That's involved. his area of expertise. But yeah. he talked about, I forget exactly what his paper was on, but he spoke and he talked about teaching certain music theory, like, fundamental music theory aspect with the Nashville number system and he gave an example of it and at first I was confused but then I was also impressed and I thought that that yeah that could be a valuable teaching method I wish I could remember more precisely what it was but you are right it is crazy yeah so okay but anyways Adam well let me oh sorry I'm gonna interject a tiny bit okay just because I feel like I was kind of leading when I asked the question Adam is on the side of the user who posted on Reddit that he thinks that yes you should have some theory knowledge to be able to collaborate effectively the person he was referring to in the post though was more on the side that he was getting results in his own performance without the theory knowledge and they were collaborating and they eventually got to the result that they needed and so his point was well i'm getting results so i don't need to learn this theory i'm doing it by ear and it's working for me so seth that is kind of the point that you'll be speaking to yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when I was listening to Adam, what I was thinking was I do agree with Adam on some level that a general knowledge of some basic theory fundamentals does help communicate. But the idea, uh, like, I immediately went to uh, the Muscle Shoals documentary and looking at how a lot of those studio musicians operated and helped uh, musicians like Percy Sledge and other things. They didn't have a real song when they walked in. Like, they had a melody and some words, and basically the studio band was like, oh, I think this is how this should go. But there was no conversation of like, yeah, big scheme. We want to start on one and go to five and do all these other things. They just know such a vast vocabulary of riffs and material, and so that they're not thinking in a theory way. They're thinking in like, I've just performed and done all of these things so much that instead of trying to figure out the philosophy behind the language, they just know enough words. It's like, yeah, I can put this together. And so my my thing is like, if somebody walked into a setting and was like, and told somebody, yeah, I think I want this, that because somebody could have such a vast knowledge of whether it's riffs, chords, uh, different styles and genres that they could put all that together and not necessarily know the reason of why all of that might make sense. They just know it. Kind of the same way that, like, um, when we were, uh, me and Livy were debating pedagogy with, and we're talking to Adam about the way that he learned modes of, Adam just learned the modes. He didn't necessarily need to know why it made more sense. Like he just knows for him that's an effective way to learn them. And if you, it's it's also okay. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, go listen to the last "Let's Argue" and it'll come up. I think it's in part two, but that's kind of where my point of view is: is that if you have such a wide knowledge base, you don't have to necessarily have the philosophy behind you. I agree with Adam; it would help, but that in some ways just having the bigger vocabulary might be better than a better understanding of the philosophy. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think there's different, as I kind of addressed, I think there's different kinds or levels to, to theory involved. And while I, I certainly wouldn't say that all performance practice of jazz musicians 
is like technically theory. I'm not going to cop out and try to say, well, that's all theory too. Um, I think that you're talking about them speaking the same language in the same way that I'm talking about, about musicians speaking in a language. And I think that whether or not you are able to get any results is different from whether you are able to get effective results. And I think the amount of time that you spend trying to find alternate ways to communicate is wasteful compared to time that you could put into practicing or rehearsing. Yes, I agree that, you know, Livy, stop me if I'm wrong, but we all have to have some language to communicate. But my understanding was that the question was, is theory the best vehicle for that language or is there another language because that's to me that's the two individuals that one is saying it would be better if i had music theory to have this conversation and communicate what i think while the other one is saying nah bro i'm good without it like i'm doing just fine yes that is yeah i think the jazz is just it's a niche and so speaking broadly, theory is still the best approach. I was just going to mention like that guy playing in our church band. You know, that's not a classical experience. That's a more pop, like quasi-pop example. But I think that there okay. are more cases where theory is useful than, as a language than cases where a different language than theory is useful. Like in Okay, jazz. first off, are we sure that the guitarist didn't just think that the keyboard player was cute and wanted a, like a reason to talk to him and was like, I can't read Capo 6 on my chart. Like, what should I be at? Uh, fairly certain. Can you dispute that? Okay. I'm fairly certain. <laughs> um, so if that doesn't work, then here, here would be my other question is, after the cable and, problem was and solved, and if that was the case, it only made the keyboard is more frustrated. So that was a pretty, pretty Ill, no. ineffective strategy, uh, to say the least. I mean, as there was no loss. An adolescent, there. at some point, have we not made the wrong choice about how to obtain someone else's affections? These people are also nearly thirty years apart in age, so. <laughs> I don't know why you're trying to put restrictions and on married love. to people that weren't each other. Okay, now hold on. Some that's that's not a deal breaker for some people. Well, it is for me. Was it my church? And I think everybody else on this podcast. But <laughs> um, I hope my old piano teacher doesn't listen to this podcast. God, I hope she does. <laughs> <laughs> you get a message that's Adam. I was so committed to this podcast until this episode. <laughs> no, but like after he got the capo figured out. Was everything fine? Uh, generally. Yeah, so I don't, like, okay, sure, that guy wasn't a guy, right? Yeah, but you, but you shouldn't have to have that, you shouldn't have to have that conversation every time. And he would still miss, in, like, he would still miss intros and, like, interludes and come in too early or come in too late, things like that. Like, I don't know that I should be, like, defending that guy. <laughs> exactly, you've made a weird choice. <laughs> That doesn't have to be your stance. But you're, you're also not, like, picking... He's clearly not the best musician ever. He was fine at playing guitar if he was playing st- by himself. I'm just saying, I, like, there are plenty of people that I work with um, after school at the studio that are all rock musicians that, like, know plenty of things. But if I say something in, like, theory of, like, yeah, we're doing this, that they would kind of go, like, what? Right. Why so then, then you're like, having to 
to take time to find a different way to express and explain yourself rather than just communicating clearly. That's my whole point is that you do yeah, get but, the, you, they're, they're so competent musicians and you still get the ideas across, but to effectively collaborate, you have to be speaking the same language. Well, yeah, but again, I'm not saying we're not disagreeing on you should speak the same language to communicate with people. It's a question of, is it better to have music theory as that language? And I don't think so because I think the average person doesn't talk like that. But we're not talking about average people. We're talking about musicians. Yeah, but I, I think I, I would say that there are more not classically trained musicians than there are classically trained ones. I mean, statistically, you're probably right. Right. So that like, okay, like my dad, for instance, if we're sitting down and playing guitar and I told him like, yeah, just play like a C, a G and a D chord or something he would get that more than if I was like, yeah, it's kind of weird that it starts on four. I don't know why I chose that. And then goes to five and then, or like right, four, but even, one, but five. Even calling it a C, a D and a G chord is music theory. Like that's still part of the language. If you said, put your fingers right there and your fingers right there and your fingers right there and play that over and over again, that will be talking about music without using the language of music theory. And that would be a pain in the butt to try to explain how to play a song on a guitar with every single fret for every single chord. But okay. Chords, chord, like chord names are still part of, are, are still part of theory to a degree. I mean, no, they, they, they are. are, they are, but okay. And guitar, if I say an a shape, any guitarist would know what I mean, but I can't say a shape for music theory. I mean, it's still kind of works. In Does piano. that make so that, I mean, kind of, yeah, but like, on guitar because of how you bar chords and other things that literally it's but, like you're but then playing you're making, an A chord but then you're a bunch making of a times. distinction between is talking about the idiosyncrasies of an instrument music theory or is it just talking about an instrument? And that's going to become a, a messy question as well. Well, yeah, you blurred the lines. <laughs> so I, I was cutting in because I don't want to judge that specific point of theory versus instrument technology. So I think more of the comparison I was trying to get at with this question would be like, I knew someone who was like this. She was the most naturally talented musician I think I've ever met and so gifted, but she didn't know theory. Um, Now granted she was learning it quickly when she got into undergrad, but she grew up playing piano by ear and she could play gorgeous, gorgeous, big, sweeping melodies with these beautiful harmonizations. But you couldn't explain it to her in theory. If you wanted her to play something, you had to say it goes like this and she could pick it up instantly. So I think that's more of a fair comparison is playing by ear versus playing with theory than explaining it in theory versus explaining it in really technical right. instrumental um, well, terms and again my point all along has not been that you cannot function without theory just that <laughs> in general broadly speaking almost all of the was, time things are better and go smoother if you know music theory and i did ask effectively which is the point you were making yes effectively right, exactly yeah and so seth you were still speaking to the other side of that i just didn't want us to go down this rabbit hole of gotcha. instrument terminology and stuff because that i don't feel like that has to be the debate uh i think um, adam I think you we would kind of exhausted that one yeah i mean or unless I'm, unless you wanted to clarify about something well adam you had just made the point that like 
it's about effectiveness. So Seth, if you want to like yes, wrap yeah. up your point, or I feel good about making the call. No, no, no. I feel good about it. Okay. So I feel like both of you made really valid arguments on that one. Um, I am going to award the point to Adam, not just because it <sighs> makes it more exciting, but um, <laughs> just because <sighs> I, I think that... Relief. I think he just really sold the point that like, if you, if your goal is to be an effective collaborator, like just learn a little theory. Whereas Seth, like it's true that you could, if you put in the work to learn the vocabulary of like the repertoire that you're learning, um, that you plan on performing in, that yeah, you still, if you know it down enough, you could collaborate effectively. However, I think the point of getting to that point, even then would take a little bit of theory to like work to get to the point of learning it that much. Again, not a good explanation. I just, Adam gets the point. Yeah, and I, I think ultimately I do agree with Adam. I would have gone yeah. a little more, it's not it's not just knowing notes and rhythms and all of those things because generally people will agree on those. It's being able to interpret it on a bigger level and explain yourself of, okay, I want a crescendo here because of this reason, or mm-hmm. we need to play this articul- series of articulations this way because stylistically it would fit in this way. And I, I'm with Adam yeah. that... That's what I was trying to get at. I don't, maybe I didn't I didn't get that clear enough. Oh, you, there's I just a good, don't think you were that specific. Gotcha. I mean, I think you probably said it. I also just blind hatred during that <laughs> argument. I wasn't willing to hear it. Well, I think that what you were saying was true, that we, we would all agree that if you have a group of people that are just so well-versed in the repertoire that they're going to be performing, they don't have to to communicate in these somewhat technical ways of theory. They could be like, hey, I want to play this, and they could like play it, and the other people will be like, oh, I know what you mean, like the documentary you were talking about. There are those people, but I think if you just had like someone in front of you and they were like, I want to collaborate, you would be like, oh, learn theory Yeah. to the average person. Um, I should have okay. I should have gone with, um, yeah, just think about all the students from South America that we had at USM. They didn't know any theory. Except for, like, perfect fixed dough. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe that was just my class. Um, no, because they would write it on their ear training tests, and I'd go, like, hey, 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 don't do that. You're right, <laughs> but don't do that. That's funny. Mm-hmm. All right, so we are two to two, moving into the last question, which is my favorite question. Um, and it really sums up a lot of points that people make on the Music Theory subreddit, which is kind of... Um, is it is it bad if I compose everything in A minor again? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. This Sorry, is this is the... I think the best question that I saw, so it's not going to be that one. Okay. Um, a, kind of a complaint on the music theory subreddit is that everyone is asking, "How do I write good music? Tell me, theorists, what makes my music good?" And so people have made these posts talking about music theory isn't X, it's Y. And I, that gives away, like, the points they're making. But I want to hear your points. My question is, is music theory prescriptive or is it descriptive? Descriptive. Just going to name and claim that one right now. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll take prescriptive. <laughs> I mean, I still have to okay, argue cool. it, but I'm, I'm going to so the, <laughs> I'm just gonna hop on that train. Um, Kind of like I was talking about with Debussy earlier is that he did change how we were using those 
you know, essentially major chords or other formations of notes that were then just planed. But he knew the other theories first and then could apply and change it. Similar to in the Renaissance, they knew the previous theories and they altered it a little bit to what they wanted. And then Baroque came in after that and said, okay, well, what if we tweak it this way? And it's all somebody just tweaking the previous thing, but it's never like, oh, I have to come up with this brand new thing. It's, I understand the style and what I was doing before, and I can always replicate that through this or change it because I know what the prescription is. Instead of, you know, saying there's not at one point in time, you would have had something where you had to like describe it. But after that, I think for the most part, it's if you understand the previous thing, then you can either continue that or you could expand upon it. it and that's, you know, maybe it's personal to me, but that's also how I think about it is that when I sit down to compose or something, I'm thinking about, well, what are all the things that I know? And I'm making choices about what do I like, what do I not like, and then, you know, shaping it into what I want instead of, yeah, I'm just going to like make random noises and sounds and then afterwards hope that there's a theory explaining what I did. Like to me, there's a logic based on all of the systems that I know that came beforehand. It's very interesting to me. that you would choose the examples you did for this question. (laughs) Since you were arguing from the prescriptive side of the argument, and you used Debussy as an example in a positive light, even though he was kicked out of music conservatory for not composing things the right way. Viva la France! Is that not true, though? (laughs) That that did happen, right? Just I have no idea. If you are in part two and you're supposed to be in part one, I make the same joke in part one, probably. So go check that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are a little too self-referential sometimes to chop these up, but oh well. <laughs> um, and and then the, as far as the other other thing that you said was you talked about like all the the changes, like the evolution of music being a continuous breaking of tradition that that the deviations from the norm is what like propels the ideas forward into the future. And I would say that's entirely the opposite of a prescriptive outlook. Composers worked within their own style, but the way that the music evolved is you're right, that they broke the rules, but that means that they weren't doing the prescribed thing. A really great example of this is sonata form in that we have a sonata form, and there was a sonata form that they were all working from, but it's actually very difficult to find a sonata that is in perfect, standardized, canonized sonata form. Every single one of those composers got bored with sonata form so quickly that what is interesting about sonata is the deviations from sonata form. So we can prescribe, this is how it works, this is the form, this is what happens, this is what comes next, but no one actually does that. The way that we came about with sonata form and we use it now is we use it to describe the differences that that did happen. To say this is kind of the model and this is what's interesting about this one in particular, about this one. Another example is the serial composers. The serial composers were not thinking about music in the way that we think about their music. They didn't have, you know, the, the matrices or the clock faces and all that stuff. We came up with that in an effort to describe the music. 
especially those early atonal pieces, like early atonal Schoenberg, he literally was just doing whatever he wanted. There wasn't even a prescription for him to follow. He had invented a new style of music that was both not really accepted in like the old styles, nor did it come from anywhere except from himself. Um, and so there, there literally wasn't anything he could follow, and we had to come up with a way of talking about it to describe that music. Um, I th- yeah, I, th- I think the music theory is inherently descriptive and in that it is a useful tool when looking for ideas, like you mentioned, but it, it's the differences, it's the breaking of those traditions and styles that really is where the magic of the music comes from. Yeah, but if you're if we're talking about sonata form and the fact that composers decided to change it, isn't that just the same as saying, yeah, here's this pill, let me decide on the correct dosage for you. Isn't that the same that the composers are using the same prescription, they're just changing the dosage to what they need. It's not like they came up with brand new medicine but if there is that's a prescript, never But if there's a prescriptive form, then they should have been doing it the same every time. And if they were making changes, then it means that they were breaking the way that it was supposed to be done. I mean, I don't... I don't think so. Like, because a doctor can write a prescription and make a decision, like... It's the same. I mean, I mean, I think you're taking. I think you're taking that too literally. I don't know if that's going to be useful. <laughs> I don't know. Liffy's a literal person. You don't know. <laughs> no, but like, I'm not saying I'm scared of it. I'm just saying I think it's too literal. No, but that if we if we're saying this works and you know that that works, you're you're not abandoning it and looking for a different solution. You you're still sticking to the same answer. You were just doing something else. And I don't think that similar to how I was talking about either hip hop or R&B or rap from like the 1990s or whenever, it doesn't matter. But that to me, that's not necessarily brand new music with brand new ideas. It's all like things that we were using originally. Now I will say the sampling idea where you're specifically sampling like other recordings or something and using it in a new venue to me that is a very new and inventive thing and that is different but the idea of rhythms and different patterns and pitches and other things like sure schoenberg came up with something that we hadn't really experienced before but it wasn't brand new notes and other things that we had never heard before you know i think we hear three-year-olds play those all the time Schoenberg I just feel like if you're gonna slam. Make the argument, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just feel like if you're gonna make the argument that, like, um, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, that music was always about the change, and I think that also means it isn't as prescriptive as you're saying it is. Does that make sense? Well, I, I mean, if you want me to, like, like if every if if everything is a model and everything is up for variation, and that's the whole point. Uh-huh then I would say that even the models are more descriptive of do things like this. And they're not prescriptive. You see, but you want to go back to the center, which would be like the most logical thing to do. We're supposed to be on opposite sides, Adam. I'm not going to the center. I'm saying I'm right and wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I still think that this is very But you're trying to get me to like concede to your point by like, hey come swim in the waters that's just over here in the center no i'm saying that in your argument your argument is is that music is prescriptive because it tells you 
how you should kind of do some stuff sometimes. And I'm saying that's not prescriptive. If there is the opportunity and the invitation to do things that are different just because, then that's not a, that's not, that's not prescriptive. So you're, you're saying it's just chance that music sounds anywhere close to the same as other music. No. Well, then if there's not a prescription, but I'm saying how it's did descriptive it... and not prescriptive. But then why do things sound the same? If we're not all using a similar connotations and expectations, but not because you have to do it that way. No, but they did. But we're not talking about, wait, we're not talking about compositional philosophy. We're talking about theory philosophy. And if I were to write a new piece of music, Mm -hmm. no part of music theory is telling me exactly how I have to compose a piece of music. Music theory can only describe what it is I have written, why it functions the way it does and what about it works. I'm not saying it, but it cannot tell me what to write. I'm not saying it tells you what to write, but it would inform you at the very least. And so the idea that you're not being informed... But it doesn't have to. I mean, I guess, but that does seem to contradict your... Because we talked earlier about like new ideas is that I could come up with a new kind of music that needs a new system of description. That is what Schoenberg did. That's why I brought him up. He did something that was beyond prescription and could only be described. I disagree. (laughs) Well... I don't really know what to say that hasn't been said. So, unless you guys object, I have come to my decision. But All right. I want to build anticipation and just throw out the way that I was thinking about this question, which is slightly different. Um, and I want to get your opinions on it. That being said, it will not sway my decision because it's a different discussion. But so, when I heard this question, I was kind of thinking about like, well, it's kind of, it depends because there's kinds of two music theories. There's the music theory that I think a lot of the people on subreddit think of, which is the music theory that the three of us taught, and it's the class. Music theory as a class, to me, is very prescriptive. You're teaching rules, and it's when you get into like music theory as like a concept and like a field that it becomes descriptive. I'm just curious if you guys have thoughts on that. Um, yes, and I would just say that probably the classes shouldn't be as prescriptive as they are. But the way we teach them is I mean, like I only taught like music the way theory we teach, one, but again, the way that and it was the entirely prescriptive. It. Right, the way that's the way that we teach it, though. That still doesn't mm-hmm. sum up the entirety of the field. Oh, I, I totally because if get we're that. talking about we're talking about it as a compositional tool, correct? Well, that kind of goes back to the original discussion, so I don't want to say, but like I totally see how the argument is that the entire field is not prescriptive, but like. I, I could totally see why people would come to a music theory subreddit and be like, oh, they can teach me how to write good music because of the way we teach classes, at least for like the first year, if not the first couple years, which is very much there are rules to how music is and you have to know the rules. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting. But then I think we would all kind of agree that like music theory as... But is the, is the question not about composition? Well, I think that might tie into what I was going to say, which is that like... What we do, the three of us, kind of not as teachers, per se, but like just as theorists in general, it's more of a descriptive thing. Yeah. Like as research. And that's kind of, and that's kind of the field. Like conferences are about descriptions, not prescriptions and stuff like that. But it depends about on how you think of music theory. So to me, that was kind of the debate. Like, how are you thinking of music theory? And I think there's an argument there, which kind of tied into what you guys were saying. Yeah. Not entirely, but I like the points you guys both made, so I didn't want to, like, jump in. Yes. I just wanted to kind of... She liked our points. Mm-hmm. I did like your points. Good. Um, good. Okay. I sit with bated breath. 
I am going to award point number five, or the point for question number five, to Adam. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean. Seth. Oh, vindication. I, Seth, I thought you made a great argument for prescription. The only thing is, I think that some of the points you made, to me, I actually interpreted them as you were saying it was descriptive. <laughs> Um, that's what I started off my argument with. He was making a very descriptive well, argument. Yeah, and so like I thought what you were saying was really true. It's just I was like, that sounds kind of like it's pre- descriptive and not as prescriptive. And so yeah, I think you had the harder case to make, if I'm being honest. I'm very impressed with how well you argued that because I don't... Oh, it's true. It's true. I chose the softball. <laughs> well, I chose the one that's right. And so that's always going to be harder. When you, when you read truth, you just know it. <laughs> but... um <laughs> No, what I was kind of getting at with Adam, though, is that in general, I would say that what we do is more descriptive, but that they're like on some level, someone somewhere is thinking of it as that prescription, kind of like Libby was getting at, is Mm -hmm. that, you know, especially if you have somebody that wants to write music and doesn't know how, and they go to their theory fundamentals class, their AP music theory class, their, um, the music theory subreddit or like the composer subreddit or some, and you're asking these questions that you are kind of trying to find that prescription to at least get a start, but that a hundred percent there's models right. that are in music theory that are prescriptive. However, I think that the, if I was arguing Adam's point, what I would have come back with is that those models exist because of descriptive theory. Right when we right. analyze yeah. people like Bach. And so to me, it all does come down to description, but it's kind of interesting. Like that's how I kind of get to the argument of like, what is music theory is music theory, the instructions that you learn in like music theory one and two, or is it the field of research and application that the three of us do? There's kind of like a fundamental difference there. And it kind of depends on what you're thinking of it as. Cause one I think is prescriptive and one is descriptive. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it also... But, man, yeah. it feels good. Good arguments all around. To finally I'm win one. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. I was the only one who hadn't won what? one yet. Oh, so do we all have a point now? Wait, hold on. <laughs> oh, wait, no. Sorry, Seth doesn't have one still. Whoops, I can't count. I keep forgetting how the episodes broke down. Oh, yeah, I have things. no idea who's won what other than this one. You've won twice then. Oh, I have? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so it's two Libby, one me. I think she was fishing for a compliment. I think she knew who won. Yeah, I think she was too. I black out during these. They make me so nervous that I just black out and I don't remember who's got what points. (laughs) I get so stressed Um, at being put on the spot. No, I think I I thought I got robbed last time, which is why I was associated. Our pedagogy debate? You probably did. (laughs) Or the the conspiracy theory, the conspiracy theories. That was the uh, first one we did. I think I think you did better than me, but I still didn't think it was fair. <laughs> and so I've just been harboring harboring the resentment until finally I can be vindicated. Well, I feel like I need to debate Seth next so Seth can get a point. <laughs> I mean... We need to... You did last time. Yeah, you crushed him. That was the problem. Actually, I think everything has come down to like the final Libby's question. really good at this game. That's That's what I've... Libby's really good at this game. I love to and argue. Seth is really good at arguing from bad <laughs> positions. Like Seth almost intentionally takes the bad position sometimes and makes it really convincing. I can't. And he also, Seth will tell you what you should have argued at the end of it. Yeah. And I can't do that. I can literally, I only start with the one perspective and I can't, I can't 
go the other direction. So, like, I don't think I'm very good at this game. I think you guys are. I don't know. I think we all have strengths. Like to me, Adam, you're so just like set that whenever someone says something, you're like, no, (laughs) you're wrong, which is pretty compelling (laughs) when you're the judge. I mean, I've been doing that as a bit, but I'm glad to hear that it's effective. You're quite firm. And so to be like, uh, Adam, I disagree. <laughs> it feels like like disagreeing with something very official. Yeah. That makes I was going to say, there, there is no flip-flop in Adam. It is. This This is the answer. No, there's no like But that's conceding. why I can only argue from, I can only argue well from the correct positions. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be the answer. Then we need an episode where... There's like clear answers to everything, and Adam has to argue like the the, the bad answer. <laughs> we need to do that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, maybe I don't know. We'll figure it out. But my thought would be that you and Livy need to go next in the debate, since you are two, the reigning champ and the contender. That's fair. That's fair. And then it would be your turn again, anyways. Yeah. So. I think you can uh, I think you can take us home, Seth. I think right. that's all we got. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the debate parts one and two. Um, we love talking to you guys so much and being able to do this kind of a show. It really helps us when you like, you share, you subscribe, tell a friend about it. And, you know, a lot of you we know personally, so feel free to either shoot us a text, hit us up on Facebook, whatever. You know, we love hearing from you guys about the show. So again, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye.